Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I am the founder of Mixergy.com. I got my very serious face on because business I take very, very seriously. I really want to do these interviews so that you and I can learn from entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. More importantly, take back the best ideas we can and help grow our own businesses. And when you do that, my hope for you, my hope for the mission here at Mixergy is that you will return and do an interview here on Mixergy and teach others what you learned along the way. The circle of Mixergy, I've said it for years, and now many of the thousand interviewees that I've had here on Mixergy have done just that. Successful companies, they built, and then they come back here and do an interview about it. And today we're going to find out how a lawyer built a multi-million dollar company that teaches social skills. Jordan Harbinger is the co-founder of The Art of Charm, a company that teaches confidence and emotional intelligence. This interview is sponsored by Lead Pages. Later on, I'll tell you a special URL where you can go if you want a, a great page that will help get more of your, your traffic to convert into email subscribers. Pay attention for that later. First, I got to welcome Jordan. Jordan. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's funny you should mention lead pages. We have lead pages. I know. I feel like all of us use lead yeah. pages. Well, now. I spotted it and I was like, "Is this real? This is. This looks amazing." And so I started using it, and our traffic, like our you know squeeze or whatever you want to call it, went email marketing. It's not my department, obviously at ASC. Went through the freaking roof, man. Because Clay Collins, the guy who created the company, is obsessed with conversion yeah. rates. I see what they do to tweak things. I see how they allow you to plug in someone's email address before they even put it into the site. I see how they put a button to increase conversion rates, and they play with the colors and all that. Anyway, I should tell people, if you want my page, the one that works especially well for me, the one that does more than 20% conversion rate, here's the URL to go to, andrewswelcomegate.com, andrewswelcomegate.com. Jordan. You were yes. here for Scotch, right? Yes, I was. We had a and great. And now I'm and now I'm here for Scotch. Oh, you're having a Scotch while we're having this conversation. Super. Yeah. It's 5 p.m. Central Standard Time or something somewhere. Yeah, anyway. It's, uh, oh wait, you're not in uh, Pacific Coast time anymore. I I am, but it's only four o'clock here, so gotcha. that would be so shameful. So you're looking for the so. excuse. But you came here to, to Mixer GHQ where I had a couple of guys. We were having conversation really open. I won't even talk about the stuff that we got into because we get really raw here. On yeah. the way out, we had a little extra cheese and crackers. I said, does anyone want it? And do you remember what you said? I said, yeah, give it to me. And I shoved it in my pocket like a, like a homeless person. Yeah, I, wrapped, yeah. I mean, I, I had saran wrap. I wrapped it for you, took it yeah. in your pocket. Then we, it, it took me till we got to the elevator, a handful of us, that I said, hey, Jordan, now that we're all a little bit tipsy here, you could be open. How much money do you have? Yeah, are things all right at home? <laughs> yes, that's what I was getting at. I was trying to say. And and so I'm going to ask you now on camera, what kind of revenue are you guys pulling in? I mean, it's funny because it's like the one thing my business partners don't want me to be too specific on, but I'm going to die. I'm going to pull a Ramit Sati and, and not tell you the exact number, but I will say multi, multi, multi seven figures. And I, I'm sure that I could it, someday I'll come back again and be like, and here's the enormous number. But honestly, it's. More money than than I ever thought I would make in my whole life, which is pretty cool. And multiple seven figures at that. I don't know if you remember the follow-up question that I had for you in the elevator after a few scotches, which was, do you have over a million in the bank? Right. And, and my answer was no, because who keeps that amount of cash around? you got to put it into assets and things so like that. So what kind of assets do you put it into? Uh, property. I've got mutual funds galore that are super boring. Uh, I invest in a few companies that are not public yet, like really early stage stuff. A la hoping that that doesn't go down the tubes. That, those are the, investing like that is like you, you you can you're basically putting it on. Well, how about this? 
cash and cash equivalents. I'd consider a mutual fund to be cash equivalent. Can we that say is, yeah. 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 And so then why did you take the cheese? Why did I take the cheese? Why did you take the cheese? Home? It was really good cheese. And, Wasn't it? you know, I'm not going to go to Whole Foods and buy friggin' cheese. And my girlfriend's going to go, oh, I'm not, you don't need all of that. And meanwhile, I had this huge chunk of cheese, and I was like, this is mine now. So <laughs> if, it, if it makes you feel any better, I didn't get to eat it all because it was a lot of cheese. But my girlfriend, you know, she didn't want most of it, and I ate a ton of it. I, that is the best cheese, and I can say it wholeheartedly because I A-B tested the cheese. I signed up for Amazon Fresh, bought in every different kind of cheese I could from there, and even none of those will compete with that one cheese from Trader Joe's. All right. Let's talk about how you got here. You know what? I, I think I might have made a mistake at the top of the interview. I said you were a law firm. You were a lawyer, but right. were you a lawyer? Yeah, I was a lawyer. You were. Okay, good. I still am technically a lawyer in New right. York State. And so did you, you started out going to law school with the idea that you would be a lawyer or that you'd be a big shot on Wall Street? Oh, I mean, I went to – worst idea ever. I went to law school because I didn't know what else to do after undergrad. It was and just the next thing to do to keep it, yourself busy while you figured it out. It was literally like undergrad ended. I walked into Best Buy. I told them I could fix computers. They said, cool, you got to work here for three years before you do that. And I remember going, there's no way I'm working here for three years in general, let alone before I get the job that's interesting. And they were like, well, you can sell CDs. And I thought, why would I sell something that's not even going to exist in like four years? And so at that point, I went home, got super depressed for like an afternoon, and then went, oh, this is stupid. I'm not going to get a stupid job like this. I have a degree from the University of Michigan, which the depression was like basically, wow, this means nothing to anyone and no one cares. And so then, of course, I had a relative who was like, you should be a lawyer, which is dumb advice because it's based on nothing. And so I applied to law schools, and I ended up getting into Michigan, which I then found out there were rankings and things like that for law school, which is an unhealthy obsession. So I went to Michigan. My girlfriend lived in Michigan at the time. And so I went to Michigan Law. And I don't regret it because it was awesome. I was with super smart people that were a hell of a lot smarter than me and had great work ethic and honed that like crazy for three years. But it was freaking expensive. And then I left and I got a job on Wall Street through networking connections. And now I don't use it at all ever. You know what? I'm looking at you. You're a guy who had an XM radio show, successful podcast, teaching people at live events how to build relationships. You're clearly a hustler, a guy who works intensely hard, comes up with creative business ideas. And I can't imagine someone like that being in, in law school. No. Did you not have this hunger at that time? Did you not say, I want to leave my mark on the world? I want to make money. I want to be something bigger than a guy in a law firm? I was going through this weird crisis-ish thing that uh -huh. didn't seem so urgent at the time. And it's funny because now that I think about it, I, I remember being in law school going, I'm going to be the worst employee in the world. Anybody who hires me is going to be pissed that I work for them because I don't care and I can't care and I can't seem to like get my wrap my mind around why I should even though I realized that my dad would have hated to hear that because he worked for Ford and he was a great employee and he was a great you know, manager or whatever. And I just wasn't, I didn't know that I was an entrepreneur. I didn't know that was what I think now, which is that that crap is like genetic, man. And so I just thought that I was really not cut out for what everybody else was going into. And even when I was in law school, like 2020 hindsight, I didn't study that much. I mean, I, st I worked my butt off, but I didn't study that much. I read everything and I prepared everything, but I, I couldn't learn and memorize. I couldn't pay attention in class. 
So what I did is I made friends with a lot of the smart kids who could also communicate really well, the kids who participated the most. And we started a study group like the first week and everyone made fun of us, especially me. They were like, why are you in a study group, you geek? And I thought, because this is the only thing that's going to get me through this. So we met every single week a couple times and I went up to a lot of these kids and I said, listen, for full disclosure, I'm not the best student, but... I will ask the best questions of you guys. If you guys teach me everything that I need to know, I will ask you all of the ins and outs and all the little fine details of this. And a couple of the guys, especially some of these like Indian dudes and like Russian guys and stuff who are super analytical, they're like, that's what I need because I memorize all the details, but I can't really pick these things apart like you can. And the only problem was I couldn't, I couldn't listen. So they would go through and teach me everything. And I'd go, well, why doesn't this do the same thing as that when the laws sort of seem like this and they go, hmm, uh, I think it's probably because this, 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 and this. And they'd go back to the professor's office hours with 80 million questions. So when exam time rolled around, we were, we were, we were made because the professor had already, we'd already gone through all this stuff a million times with the I prof see. and with everybody else. So I, I rocked it in law school, but it wasn't because of me. It was because those guys, the smart kids taught me everything. You got a job and you noticed something at the law firm, which was there was a guy who was hardly ever at the firm who made more money than everyone else. Right. I remember seeing this at the first law firm I hired. Why, why was he doing better than everyone else even though he wasn't, um, he wasn't in the firm? He wasn't in the office much. Yeah, it's, it's, this is a funny story because this guy was from Brooklyn and he had a great tan, which is just an immediate like red flag, right? Anybody from Brooklyn with a tan, you got to wonder what the heck's going on. So he was never there. And eventually he was sort of like my quote unquote mentor. And what that means is that HR was like, your mentee is Jordan Harbinger. And he's like, whatever, right? That's how mentorship works in most law firms. So they assign you. They assign it and they, get, yep. they go, fine, I'll take him out for an expenses, you know, all expenses paid dinner somewhere nearby the office and then bounce. So he took me out for coffee one day and he goes, all right, ask me anything. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that he expected me to say something like, well, how do real estate deals really work or whatever? And I said, how come you, I fully thought he was just going to like fire me, but I didn't care. He, I said, why do you, why is the rumor that you make more money, but you're never in the office? Do you just work from home or what? And he sort of like laughed awkwardly, leaned back in his chair and went, all right. Fine, you know, I'll tell you. And I, because I, I went on saying, listen, I see the other partners that I work next to, and they're, they're in the office at 1 a.m. on a Sunday night. I went in there late one Sunday to show my mom and my business partner, AJ, the office where I was working and get like a Diet Coke out of the pantry. And there, there were tons of people there. And I thought, what the hell's going on here? He was in there even during business hours. So I asked him what the deal was. He said, all these technical guys, these guys that work so hard, they'll work day and night, all these, you know, like dudes who come from the old country or parents come from the old country, they will work 24 seven. You can't compete with that. And their technical knowledge is great, but it's at the end of the day, it's kind of replaceable with somebody else with the same amount of knowledge. The only thing that's not readily replaceable is somebody with a great network. Because even if you re find another person with a really great network, you still want both of those people working with you because they bring in business. So he, his time was literally better spent on the golf course, on a cruise, at a charity event, doing jujitsu, freaking doing yoga with bankers and other people who were doing deals and had business for the law firm than it was sitting in the office. His time in the office was misspent. So the big takeaway for you there is knowledge is out there and enough people have it. Relationships, 
there aren't enough of. If I could build relationships like this guy, I could make more money, have more fun. That's the life for me. Were you the kind of person who was social in high school? Were you the kind of person who could talk to strangers? Not really, no. Um, I was definitely really shy as a kid, too. High school, I started to come out of my shell a little bit. College, I kind of retreated right back in there. And, and you're right. Knowledge, the way you put it, is perfect. Knowledge is essentially a commodity, even at the highest levels. I mean, some of it's esoteric, some of it's harder to gain than others, and some of it's gained through experience. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be a larger pool of those people that have mm -hmm. that knowledge versus the pool of people that have the right type of networking connections. And, of course, later on when that firm sort of went downhill... He just bounced and went straight to partner level at another firm in Midtown Manhattan. He probably didn't even have to move. He probably didn't even have to change his usual parking space. Everybody else got screwed. Um, so you see this, and what do you do? How does that change the course of your life? It was amazing because what I did was then go, wait a minute. I don't have to outwork all these other people in the office. I just have to be a better networker than they do. And I already kind of liked talking to people, even though I'm not the greatest at it, but I certainly hate drafting documents and, you know, checking all these tiny little legal details. And even the research part that everybody says is so fascinating about law, freaking blows if you don't like it, right? It sucks. And there's always going to be people who can do it better than you. So I went, all right, I'm going to dig in to this people skill set and get as good at it as humanly possible, because at the end of the day... If I can spend the proverbial 10,000 hours mastering this versus mastering real estate finance deals, I'm going to be able to stay engaged more. And at the end of the day, I'm more valuable than the guy who masters the other skill sets. So, so what's I one thing in. that you learned before you got especially good at it? What's what, one basic tip that you can give us that you learned back then? One of the like super rudimentary basic tips that everyone's going to go, I knew that, is that nonverbal communication trumps verbal communication every time. And that seems so obvious now, but 10, 15 plus years ago, that wasn't something that just everybody knew, right? You know, a lot of people didn't know that your nonverbal communication was much more important than the words you say and that your delivery was key and that your first impressions were made when you walked into the room, not when you decided to introduce yourself. I mean, so those were revelations they... for me. So I saw you. You came into the room for scotch. You were very, you were very um, confident and talkative. There was another guy. I don't, I don't remember his name right now. Nobody was, will ever remember his name. I feel bad. He was very shy. Yes. I gave him the whiskey as a way of saying, "Look, you can be in control here." Right. And I said, "You pour the first, uh, the first round for everyone." And I could see he was a little intimidated by that because you know you don't know how much to pour whiskey. It's not like water where you go all the way to the top of the glass. There's no right. line on a, on a glass that says two here. What could he do differently knowing this to make himself come across really powerfully at, at this small event? Small sure. event meaning like three of us guys were yeah. sitting around. I, I mean, there's, there's theoretically no reason for him to be that quiet there, right? But he was. And when he walked in, he stood next to me while I was standing there talking to uh, your, your aide. Olivia, my uh, wife. She, yeah, your wife. Yeah, She, was, I, she happened I, to be finishing up for the day. Right. And, and, um, and so I was sitting there chatting with her, and he stood there, and I remember looking at him and going... Hey, man, like, are you going to say something instead of just awkwardly? I wasn't sure if he was like a food delivery guy or anything. Really? You know, like he really so had what does no he do? presence. I mean, he's clearly, he doesn't know anyone. It's an right. intimidating situation. You don't mm -hmm. know, are gonna, 50 people going to show up or is it just going to be all five of us? Is it three of us or how many? What's the conversation going to be about? Am I even in the right place? I've had people say to me, I feel a little mm -hmm. awkward being here, Andrew, because I'm not a real entrepreneur yet. Um, one day maybe I'll be an entrepreneur and I'll deserve to be here for Scotch, which is kind of weird when it's like four of us guys sitting around. Right. I if get that though. What, yeah. what do you do if, if they, 
if someone's like that and they hear Jordan say that nonverbal communication is important, give me one thing to do. What do they do? Do they strut in? Do they just make a fist as they come in? Just fist pound everybody when they yeah, like it? No, yeah, I mean, no, what do they do? Do they, do they? He, yeah, he rolled in and he said nothing and he made him, so he didn't what, make no, himself I, I get that. At all. So, but so in that situation, in, what right, should he do? Exactly. Walk in and just say hello to everybody. And that sounds like a dumb tip because it's so obvious. But here's the thing. He was standing there afraid to interrupt us. And when you walk in from somewhere, if you walk in and you say, hey, guys, and you introduce yourself, hey, guys, I'm Jordan, it doesn't matter. I mean, people might go, oh, we were talking here, but no one's going to be like, what a barbarian. They're just going to realize that you walked in, you made yourself known, and you introduced yourself. In fact, we have this sort of weird societal unwritten rule that introductions kind of always trump anything else that's going on in a conversation because if you don't introduce yourself, it's weird, and if you don't know who you're talking to, it's also weird. So you have that kind of ace in your, up your sleeve. If you need to introduce yourself, you can literally stop someone mid-sentence and go, sorry, sorry, man, uh, I'm Jordan. I don't believe we've actually met. And it's not that rude, even if they're in the middle of a freaking sentence talking to somebody else. So definitely should have introduced himself. I mean, he didn't look like a schlep. You know, he was fine every other way. It's not like he was hunched over in a little fetal position. Good-looking guy. Had a but, lot going for him. Exactly. Right. So – Walk in, don't be afraid to, inter to interrupt, and you're right. Societally, we're okay with someone introducing mm -hmm. themselves, even if, so, even if we're mid-sentence. Exactly. Right. You met AJ, who's your partner, right? Right, business partner. Business yeah. partner, excuse me, not life partner, yeah. business partner. San Francisco, partner. man, be clear. Just speaking of, yeah. AJ was really good with women. Were you really good with women growing Hell up? Hell no, it's terrible. AJ was really good with women. Give me an example of how bad you were at picking up women. I shouldn't <sighs> say picking up women. We weren't no, thinking just, picking up women in high school. I wanted no. to like be in a relationship with a woman. I wouldn't want to pick her up. I, I couldn't. I was, two, I was 115 pounds. Oh, man. What I wanted was to just go and start a conversation with someone I was interested in. I didn't know right. how to do it. Give me an example of how bad you were at it. I remember there was a girl that liked me, and her friends knew it, and they were trying to hook her up with me, even though I wasn't really friends with them, because I you know, was kind of quiet and didn't have a lot of female friends, was kind of jockey. And she, she took the craziest, ballsiest risk one day and stood up in the middle of a class of 90 people right before the lecture started, and she goes, Jordan, will you go to Sadie Hawkins with me? Which is that dance where the girls ask the guys. And I remember just turning beet red and putting my books and my chair and walking straight out the back of the room to go to the bathroom as everyone chanted, like, do it, do it, you know, because they felt bad for her and it was awkward for me. So it was like a double win for everyone in the classroom. And she felt awful. Meanwhile, I wasn't thinking about her. I was just thinking about how she was probably making fun of me and how her friends were probably also making fun of me. And I was really pissed. And then after school, one of her friends who I sort of knew was like, what was that all about? And I was like, you know, you guys don't have to make it worse than it already is. Da, da, da. And they're like, what are you talking about? She's had a crush on you for like two years. And at that point, I felt like a total idiot because I had no idea. I was so in my head that I literally thought, well, this girl's talking to me in front of all these people. She, this isn't some risk that she's taking because she likes me to the point where she's like desperate to get my attention. She just wants to make theatrics out of how shy I am. That's how yeah. wrapped up in my own crap that I was. And at the end of the day, it wasn't true. I mean, she had literally had a crush on me for a really long time, and I just had no idea how to handle it. So that was a, a great kind of metaphor for how crummy I was with the opposite sex for pretty much the first 20-plus years of my life, and it sucked. And it AJ sucked. was not like that. Do you have an example? By the way, oh. what a great freaking example. I totally relate to that. I have In my head, I'm picturing a couple of examples in my life where I did that. So AJ was how? AJ, I remember the time when I realized he was so good with girls. One day it was on my birthday, and we were hanging out. 
and we went to this bar, and I was facing a table. Uh, I was facing him, and then behind him was a table of like four girls, maybe five or six girls. And he was like, "Hey, what do those girls look like behind me?" And I was like, "Oh, they're cute." And he's like, "Ah,、uh, that's they're they're interested in talking to us." And I was like, "Okay, first of all, no, they're not because blah blah blah, my own weird issues. Second of all." How the hell do you know? You're facing me. I'm facing you. What do you? What could you possibly know about that table of girls? You don't even know what they look like. He goes, "Trust me, they're saying things a little bit louder than they need to for each other to hear, and they're talking about subject matter that's specifically designed to get our attention." He didn't even say it like that, but that was what he sort of communicated. And I was like, "What are you talking about?" I was like, "Let's get out of here. I want to go to a different place. It's my birthday. I don't want to talk to those girls. You don't know what you're talking about. We're just going to embarrass ourselves." He goes, "All right, you're lost." As we're leaving, I'm putting my jacket on, and he puts his jacket on. He's halfway out the door, and the girls go, "Hey, where are you guys going? We'll go with you." And they like got their stuff, and the girl was like, "Wait, what are you doing? We haven't paid the tab." And the girl was like, "Where are you going?" Yelling at us, and I was like, "Uh, blah blah blah, other bar." And he goes, "I told you," and I was like, "Okay." Back up the truck, and we spent the next five hours talking about all these things that he knew that I didn't, and we literally spent the next, I think, three years talking about it on what was then, you know, the beginning of our podcast because I did not understand what he intuitively knew, and I, it was freaking fascinating. And there's still and it was、topic. a mentor protege relationship where、Definitely. AJ was the guy teaching you how. So so far, we've talked a lot about relationships. We've talked a lot about our our. Connection over one time we met for scotch. We haven't gotten to the business yet. How does the realization that you had at the law firm and the connection you have with AJ lead to a business? What's the first step that you guys took that allowed you to create a business together? Sure. So we went out like six, seven nights a week for a year and and more than a year in Ann Arbor. And we had all these guys and business owners were asking. How do you know everyone? Because we would have people coming into bars by the dozens where we were going to hang out. The guys were there to learn what we were doing with girls and how we were making these relationships. And the business owners were like, "You guys drink for free because you're bringing in thirty people." Wait, guys would come to you and say,、yes. "I'll pay you to." So how did these guys find out about you? They watched us. They would go, "Okay." I mean, drunk guys would approach us at like eleven, one o'clock in the morning and go, "Hey, you're with different girls every night. What's the deal? I've seen you out." Every Saturday or three times, depending on how often they go out,、and、they were like they would meet you in you, person, and、yes. you would say, "I will teach you if you pay me." We would say, "Just buy us drinks, and you can come hang out." And they would be like, "Send me an email or call me when you're going to go out." And we had a list of like twenty eight guys, and we would call small numbers of them and make sure that we had free drinks for the rest of the night. And the venue owners would give us free drinks too because we'd bring in so many people. So we never paid for dinner. We never paid for drinks. It was Wait, amazing. Guys who come into to bars aren't a big boon usually because. You're not spending that much money. You're not drawing in a lot of women. Bartenders、right. don't tend to buy drinks for guys who come in. They buy beer for drink. They buy drinks for women. Right. Or they、But、want you to. They want both men and women to pay. How do these guys end up paying for your drinks? They offered. To, we told the guys to pay for the drinks, and the the venue owners and the bartenders would pay for our drinks because we befriended them, and also because we would tell the manager like, "Hey, I bring you know eight to ten guys here every Saturday." Can you hook it up? And they'd be like, "Yeah, sure." The first three are on the house, and I mean, when you say first three drinks, and you can ask for a glass full of vodka and another glass full of Coca Cola, you're good, unless you're an alcoholic. For the okay, so we're talking、night. about three drinks total, not three per person. No, no, three per person, and additionally, then the guys we brought would buy the rest. So we hadn't paid for drinks in months. 
At that point, the pickup artist community had already started. The, the stuff that Neil Strauss wrote about was already... Was, it, ha- it was not out yet. It wasn't out yet. No, it wasn't out yet. But you were looking at it online and reading what was going on? No, we didn't see most of that stuff. And when we did see it, we were like, this is so weird. I don't want anything to do with this because there's no way this stuff works and I'm not wearing a light-up hat. So what's the... You're talking about the, the flare or the... The peacocking, the peacocking weird, is yeah, what they that call stuff it, to get attention. That's so ridiculous, and there was just no way it was happening. So then we is the next that. step to build a podcast or to start selling lessons to these guys? We accidentally started the podcast in the way that guys were like, you should write a book, you should write a book, you should write a book. AJ was a cancer biologist. I was studying for the bar exam. Nobody was, ain't nobody going to write a book, right? So we decided to make some sort of CD audio thing and maybe hand it to guys that were asking us for this stuff uh, because we thought this, this information must be free. I mean, it was just so good. And uh, so AJ was like, hey, listen, there's this thing called podcasting. There's like 800 of them in the new iTunes that's, that's out. It's real cool. We should just buy some microphones from Guitar Center and just record some stuff and put it online. And then when people want it, we can just tell them the website to download it. So he made a website, we recorded some stuff, outlined a few episodes, put it online, and we were one of, you know, 800 or 8,000 or however many podcasts were there in 2005. 2005. And at the time, right. the site was called Pick Up Podcast? Right, because it was all about picking up the ladies back then. We didn't care about other stuff, you know? We didn't see the overlap. Uh, here's what the side of the site says. Join us each week as AJ and Jordan discuss pickup, dating, and social dynamics. Every show includes tips, tactics, listener quotes, and stories from the field designed to help you get your game in order. Cringe. That's from <laughs> Wayback Machine or something, right? Because totally we have, back. Yeah, okay, because so I was going to say, that's been gone for Even the domain no longer. Years. The right. domain now redirects to artofcharmpodcast.com, right, if right. I remember? Yeah. So I'm now looking at a 2007 version of the site. And here's what it says on Saturday, March 17, 2007. Wow. So for those of you who've been paying attention, you know we've been giving away a ton of free stuff every week, yet we still get questions. So here's a laundry list of the stuff we're tossing out to about one in five of our listeners who've responded to the survey. And what you have is Stephen Nash CD sets, Carlos Zuma eBooks, How to Manage Your Wildly Successful Dating Life, Mystery Method DVDs. That's oh, the guy man. who you're talking about with the, yeah, with the we peacocking. Were, and we were giving all that stuff away because they were sending it to us and they were like, hey, a lot of our clients are finding us through you can you do something to promote us? And we were like, well, we're not just going to randomly promote you. So give us a bunch of your products and we'll give them away to our guys for free when they ask for it. I see. But you couldn't have hated them that much at that point. No, at that point, we hadn't met them in real life. And we, I don't hate those guys, to be super clear. I just think it's ridiculous. And, and a lot of those guys have evolved as well. Like Guys like, like that have evolved. But then there's other guys that haven't. I mean, if you still look at those mystery guys from VH1, they're still wearing light up stuff. And <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, it's like, hey, that, you know, this has been going for eight years. That stuff kind of expired. It's like, get, get with the program. And, you know, once you meet those guys in real life and you find out that 99% of what they do is internet marketing and they don't really care about helping people, it pisses you off. And that's what jaded us a lot to that whole industry. I see on the right side of the page from back then, PUA training and boot camps. I see, I know you're cringing. We have to yeah. go through the whole thing to no, see how you, you got No, go here. for it, man. It's, it's like pulling off a really old Band-Aid. Uh, Alpha Immersion DVDs. You were making money off of, off of affiliate links as far as I could tell by... No, we, d- we never made any affiliate money off of that stuff. And if we had affiliate links, they were woefully unsuccessful because we literally got no affiliate money from that I see. stuff. 
yeah, I was trying to figure out what the companies are that you're doing affiliate programs with. I saw something called marketing. Where is that? Marketerschoice.com. But maybe, maybe that's other people who are using yeah. it and that's the way you link to them. Yeah, my, maybe. My question then is, where is the money in all this? That tail my is from your cat. It's my cat's tail. Yeah. No, it's my, it's my tail. Cause when I, when I get, when I get asked tough questions, it dangles in front of the camera. <laughs> um, sorry, go ahead. So where, where is the money coming from? Oh, there from was no, there point? was no money at that point. We didn't What's care. What's the first We're, thing that you sold? Guys told us they wanted to come to Ann Arbor and learn from us. And I said, well, where are you going to stay? And they said, we have family there. We, we don't, we don't care. So we said, okay, fine. Um, you know, come to Ann Arbor and we'll meet up. There's a street fair or whatever, and we'll take you out during the day. And they said, how much is it going to cost? And we said, $50 an hour. And, the, and one of them said, that's it. And we said, damn it. Yeah, okay, that's it. And then it happened again a month later, and it happened again a month later, and every time we raised our prices. And then a couple times uh, before we really got the memo, proverbially, we had a guy say, can you take me to the mall uh, and teach me how to talk to strangers? And we said, sure. I mean, this guy worked for Intel, and it was fine. So we said, he said, how much is that? And we said, ah, just buy us dinner and, like, you know, pay us for our time a little bit. And he gave us, like, $900, and we were like, whoa. We thought he was going to give us 50 bucks and dinner, he gave us $900 and he bought us a really nice dinner. So we were like, wait a minute, this, there might be something here. And I started getting phone coaching clients with, and AJ did too, where guys would pay us $100, $150 an hour to stay on the phone with us, talk about social issues they were having. One was an Im like an immigrant uh, from some African country that lived in Denmark. And he's like, listen, I'm having trouble making friends. I'm a student here. I just don't get it. And I gave him a bunch of drills and exercises and we talked every single week on Skype and him and a bunch of his friends were like, this is changing my life. And that's when I was like, this is, this is really cool because I, I didn't know that it was going to have this big of an impact on other people as it did on myself. So we really How do you know what to tell them to do. It's so hard to uh, tell someone else yeah. what to say. It's it doesn't, so hard. Well, it doesn't matter what you say. And that was part of it that made so, it easier. So if it doesn't matter what you say, and I noticed that too, that I could come up with when I was really struggling, I would talk to my brother, we would go out and we'd say, what's the line? What do we say? Look at them. Yeah. Do we comment on their dress? Do we comment on the drink? Do we ask them if we can buy a drink? We get in our heads. And then when I got comfortable with myself and got comfortable talking to strangers, I could just walk over and say, blah, 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 blah. And if they were interested, it would be the wackiest thing and it would start a conversation. Sure. Yeah. And if they weren't, then that's fine. But to get to that, I needed a crutch. How do you get someone who's so, who's so uncomfortable, who's in a new country, culturally unsure of himself? What do you tell him that gets him comfortable saying, saying something to a stranger? A lot of it is exposure therapy. And at that point, I was like, I didn't just want to make crap up and give it to clients who were paying me money. So I contacted a lot of really like interesting and very value-giving and cool therapists, psychologists, people like that. And I was like, listen, what would you give somebody with social anxiety? And I looked up a lot of those drills and read tons of books and educated myself. And I was like, okay, listen, if this doesn't work for you, you don't pay me. That's what I gave to every single client. And that's the guarantee that we still give to Art of Charm clients because we don't want them to burden or shoulder the risk, the burden of the risk. So we would say, all right, listen, if you ride the bus and you see people that you want to talk to and they're not talking to you, it's not because you're African. It's because you live in Norway and people don't freaking talk to each other there on the bus, nor do they do that in the United States. So just lean over. And at that point, it was like whatever he was comfortable with. I mean, some clients, it was like ask for directions. 
other clients, it was like, tell them that you're new in the country and you're having trouble making friends. And he's like, wow, that's dangerous. That feels dangerous. And I said, if it feels dangerous, but it doesn't feel physically dangerous, then just go for it and see what happens. Just don't get arrested. And, and so, of course, he did that. And we did that for months and months and months. And he ended up with this really cool girlfriend. He had a circle of friends of people that he'd met like at libraries and student places. And he wrote me an email years later that was like, this has changed my whole life. I never would have been able to assimilate as well as I have. And it was actually Denmark, not Norway, as I would have without your help. And I really appreciate it. And I have a job and I have a family now and all this stuff. And I, that was awesome. And that's what we do. And that's what I loved doing about it. And so it really is tailored for everybody because you can't give a cookie cutter answer slash cookie cutter solution for every single client that comes through. And that's why we cap our programs at seven or eight guys. And yet we have like seven coaches because it's just too seven complicated. Seven or eight guys in person. Right. In our live training at our school, they stay overnight for the week. Is that we, the first we, thing that you did? Took people up on their offer to fly in and, n- and n- learn? Well, yeah, they flew in and learned, but they didn't stay with us. And then after that was phone coaching. And then after that, guys were flying in and staying with us. We were based in Manhattan at the time. They would stay in my apartment in Manhattan and they would sleep there and there were like one or two guys every week because we had no real, I mean, our audience was tiny and they would do that. And then they would tell their friends and like fast forward to now, now it's eight guys every single week, seven or eight guys every single week for four months, six months in advance, depending on the season we're booked out completely. By the way, that sound, I was looking at you to say, well, you're a pro. Why are you having audio on? You should know not to. It's not you. It's me. It's that, you, huh? That it's totally me. But that sound is on your site. You have that chat box where a guy named Ocean Ray comes in and says, "Hey, welcome. <laughs> How did you discover the yeah. site? Hit me back." And yes, I'm a real person, not a bot. Um, hey, you've been here before. I see. Let me know if you need anything. Otherwise, I won't bug you. It's it, you guys have your stuff so together. Like the, it's really a professional operation. That's hard to now compare what you have today, which looks fantastic where you're selling something very clearly, which has a phone number at the top, has this guy Ocean on the bottom who's going to chat with me, to what you have before where you were clearly trying to figure your your way. I'm looking around here. If you see my eyes darting everywhere, it's because there it is. Your tagline, your your podcast name was Pickup Podcast. The tagline was where gurus gather. Yeah, that and that was that was terrible. I mean, I'll I'll be the first to say like that that's that's the worst. That's a terrible n- name and it was the, but the marketing worked really great because people were looking for that and we called it hiding the broccoli, right? Because in order to get a kid to eat broccoli, which is good for him, you have to cover it cover it in cheese. And that's what we were doing back then, but now we don't we find thank God we don't need to do that anymore because people aren't looking for quick fixes they're not looking for and if they are they're not a good fit for what we do back then we were kind of like trying to survive now we can filter in people who get it and by get it i mean they go okay this is a process it's going to take work it's not about getting chicks it's about me and it's about the work i'm willing to put in we can filter for that now back then it was like is this a business i don't know i have a day job hopefully it is when did you know it would be a business I, you know what? Honestly, it took years and years. I'm trying to, that's a good question because I'm thinking about, I'd quit law and even then I was like, uh, am I going to have to become a, like a school teacher? Not that there's anything wrong with that. My mom does that, but am I going to have to get a day job again? And, uh, the answer became, eventually the answer was no, probably like three, four years ago. And that's probably 50% of the company history was with me spent going, 
I just want to work at the post office. Those people don't have that much stress, which is a lie because they shoot each other. But, you know, if, if, if there was so much stress at points that I, I wished I was not in business for myself. Now that I literally never wish for that ever. I mean, at all. So about three years ago, was three, there... Four, four years ago, yeah, four years Was ago. there a milestone, a product that you sold that suddenly took you over? No, it was... We brought in some new blood to the company. We got rid of a lot of dumbass people, if I can say that on your show, that were just like value drains, stupid friends that we'd hired that turned out to be more trouble than they were worth. Stuff like that. We got rid of all those people. We had uh, finally our website was working a lot better. Our show audience was growing like crazy. And it was just all, all signs were, were go. And our clients were super satisfied. We weren't making stupid mistakes anymore due to laziness or incompetence and, and i mean that's like an ongoing battle whenever you so run a team it, it was just constant small improvements i'll tell you for mixergy what did it yeah. was i was trying to figure out where's the revenue in doing mixergy otherwise i either pay for all the work out of my pocket like pay joe the editor out of my pocket or i have to close it down and i didn't want to do either one and i tried a bunch of different things and then I said, I'm going to do these small courses. And one of the first ones was how to interview. And it was like a mini test course. And people bought it. You were one of the customers who bought it. Which I bought I'm, it. I'm really yeah. proud that you did. And that helped take off. That was just the start. And then when I switched to membership, so I didn't have to sell each one individually and deal with all those individual smaller products, life got a whole lot different. And now there's a team here. And those two steps were dramatic. You didn't have anything like that, did you? No, no, there was no, like, oh, that made everything a lot easier. I mean, that would be great. That would be cool if we had some really major big wins like that. But honestly, one of the things that helped me get to the next level and helped us as a company get to the next level was me realizing that I couldn't pick up all the slack for any other team members that were slacking, and I also couldn't do everything myself. So hiring people and getting return on investment beforehand after learning their job was something that I started to replicate. So I did, that Ocean Ray guy, that's a real person, by the way, I did his job for, I think, at least one year, maybe two. That's why he's real and talks real, because I wouldn't outsource to a bot. I want guys with a certain level of competency. I tested them myself. But it I was test, you on I that pop-up box. For at least a year. I spent 12 hours a day. Who makes this pop-up box? It's a good one. That is live chat, but our outsourcing company is totally separate. They're based in Australia. And if anybody, I, honestly, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but if people want to email me personally, am I allowed to do this? Yeah. If they want to email me personally, just email me jordanh at theartofcharm.com, and I will introduce you to that plugin and the person that staffs it because they do a, a freaking phenomenal job. Oh, so it's, it's a company that's, that staffs it, that learns your product well enough yes. to be able to respond. Exactly, exactly. And I can call them anytime day or night and somebody will answer and they and I know the owner and he's a boss and the and the is company, it always Ocean Ray who's on there no it's it depends it's you a different person in, it's and a this different is really person. his photo because Ocean Ray looks like a really good looking guy that can't yeah be. He, he's like a slick mofo but the girls photos I found are fake which is highly disappointing um, uh, okay but yeah no we chose I mean we selected salesmen with a certain level of English and you know, or, and or native English, but Ocean Ray, honestly, that's his real name. I told him, hey, can you pick a different fake name? And he was like, no, because that's my real name. And I thought, who am I to talk? My last name is Harbinger. So, you know. <laughs> I just sent him a message saying, what products can I buy? Because he's a salesman. Yeah. And I hope he doesn't disappoint me live on your show because I'll be really pissed. 
Um, the podcast was the very first thing you created, not a blog, but a podcast, right? Right. Yeah. No, the blog, the blog was a placeholder that said, Hey, we have another episode. Click here to download it. That was the blog. Mm-hmm. So how did you get so many viewers for, or so many listeners for your podcast? You guys are enormous. Yeah. We, right now, I think we've got like 800,000. We're one of the largest shows in iTunes. It's pretty awesome. I love it. It's my baby. I'm obsessed with it. I check my iTunes rank every five minutes. Um, but the way that we did it, and this is just going to sound cliched and dumb, so feel free to like try to poke holes in it because I'm honestly I'm welcoming of that. I think putting out consistent quality without trying to be salesy and not trying to be like, here's a quick fix and just telling people like it is and also being authentic in terms of like admitting my own shortcomings in every area of my life probably way too publicly made us relatable enough that people stuck with us and giving people things that we had tested and not just the latest like flavor of the month bullcrap that self-helpy guys were trying to hawk and not hawking those DVDs. Like all the DVDs, all those products you saw, we gave those away for free up until we weren't able to anymore and then we removed it from the site. We never sold any of that trash because we didn't know about it. And so people would have to ask for that. And even when we were having like links for stuff on the website, we removed those eventually because we were, I remember at one point years ago, we were actually giving people refunds when the person who sold the product wouldn't give them a refund if they found out about it through our site because we cared enough that we didn't want them to feel burned by their experience with us. That I remember refunding a set of DVDs from a company, even though they weren't our DVDs. And, I, and you know, we, people thought we were crazy, but AJ and I were really like, you know what? It doesn't matter. We just want them to be happy with what we're doing. And I think that attitude, as cliche as it sounds, and putting out only top-notch stuff as far as we could was the best thing ever because what that did, we have people emailing us every day, I've been listening to you for seven years. I mean, that's ridiculous. I haven't listened... I haven't done anything for seven years other than wake up in the morning. You know what I mean? That's, that's as consistent as, as we've been. And, and podcasting is the only other thing. And I think people who've suffered so being good to your right? audience, but was there something that you did? I know that one of the things uh, you told uh, April Dykeman here on the research staff at Mixer G, you said you emailed blogs and message board and you got on message boards oh, and you, yeah. started per- you started asking for links back, back at a time when it worked. Yeah, that, back in the day, and you remember this and probably very few other viewers or listeners do blogs were something that you did because you actually liked it and you Mm -hmm. didn't ever care if you became a millionaire off the damn thing so i would email everybody in our niche and and even slightly outside the niche and be like hey i've got this show and it's all about becoming a better guy would you check it out and or link to it and i stayed up till 5 a.m probably for four straight months during a summer and i emailed every single blog i could find and probably low double digits or low or high double digits low three digit number of blogs were like sure and they linked to us and that built our original audience and so people are always asking me oh man what's the way to get podcast listeners and i was like i don't know i did it eight years ago and also it was a crap load of work that quite frankly you're probably not willing to do and people don't like that answer but that's why is lewis house sending you so much traffic is he yeah What's Didn't the connection that. with Lewis's site? LewisHowes.com. I, I, I looked at your um, – so I have a, a similar web account, and I'm looking to see where your traffic's coming from to get a sense of it. And I see pickup artist 
pickuppodcast.com is sending you traffic, but that makes sense because the old URL is out there. People are typing it in and they get redirected to a new one. Feedly, of course, makes sense because that's a feed uh, RSS reader. Elite Daily, maybe, maybe not. And then Lewis Howes in the fourth slot. And I'm wondering, did you do an interview with Lewis? Is that what happened? Yeah, I did it. Lewis is a good buddy of mine, real cool cat sharp dude uh he did he interviewed me uh, pretty recently so that's probably why it's fresh i think if you did your way back machine on those stats you'd probably see some other large show that i went on recently so that's the thing it seems like going on other podcasts also help you guys oh yes yeah, of course the trick is though you've got to deliver good stuff if you go on a large podcast and you go everybody go to my website right now no one's going to give a crap the host is going to hate you and maybe never air the show but yeah if you go on and you deliver something really good that people can use and you show that you care, like we try to every single time, then yeah, people will come on over. And I know that Lewis is sending us traffic. I just didn't know it was that much. I don't it, pay attention to that stuff, which is like, you know, I'm supposed to, but I But can't. you do take a look at the rankings on, um, on iTunes. iTunes. Yeah. That's kind of like the, the, the wee-wee measuring of the podcast world is like where you are. I want to make damn sure I'm number one in self-help. I want to make damn sure I'm in the top five in health. I want to make damn sure I'm in the and top. So, what 100. do you do? Let's suppose tomorrow you wake up and you're number three. What do you do to fix it? If, I, if that's a great question, what I would do is I would reach out to my network and say, "Hey, I know you've been trying to interview me for a while. I would love to come on." Or I would get a high-profile guest and I would interview them. I honestly, though, what I typically then do is call app, and this is the unfair advantage that I have now that I've been doing this for a long time. I call Apple and I go, "Hey." Who would you like to see me interview? I've got these ideas, and who can you? Who would you put on the front page of iTunes? And they give me a list out of that list, and then I call those people's PR. Or have my I have my people call their people, you know, and then we set it up, and then I go on the front page of iTunes. Who's a big that name that next. that Apple said? If you interview them, then it's a good reason to be on. Robert Green was a good one, uh, also because he was our episode two fifty, which was our seven year anniversary of the show, so that that met, was met with approval. Um, I've had. Quite a few features go up in the front page of Apple. I've got some guys coming out in the next few months that I'm not supposed to talk about because they're not up there yet. Give me a past guest who was especially popular and got you featured. Uh, Robert Green was the the most recent one that got me featured. You know what's great about Robert Green? I believe I interviewed him, and I believe I believe what Ryan Holiday, who works for him, did was I think he paid to buy ads to send them to Robert's interview on Mixergy. And if he didn't buy ads, he did something. Ryan Holiday did something. He does something to promote his guys. So I don't sure. know if that happened to you, but they don't just send Robert Green on. They make sure Robert Green kills. Well, no, I'm friends with Robert Green, so I literally just called him and was like, hey, this has been a long time in the making. Why don't we do this show finally? Oh, also, I want to put it on the front page of iTunes, which is a great way to get a guest. Gotcha. And so you then email them back or call them back, and then they get you on the, on the list. So interviewing is a good one. Interviewing people who are well-known, asking others to interview you, um, Mm -hmm. working the blogs back then, it made sense. Today, you have to be a lot more PR-y about it. Yeah, unfortunately. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I can see from here. You're not – are you buying ads? No. I can't find any ad buys. You will not find any ad buys, my friend. I don't see – here's the search terms that seem to do well. Obviously, Art of Charm, The Art of Charm, Jordan Harbinger, people are typing in your name, How yeah. to Turn a Girl On Over Text. Sweet. Right? And the reason that is doing well is because you have, a, according to my friend Ocean Ray, you have a book on that. Yes, uh, we do. For 100 bucks, I could buy the book that shows me how to text women. Holy crap, that's expensive. I wrote that thing a long time ago. It's a good book, but 
Apparently, we raised the price. <laughs> Let me see. Is it? It is that. So wow. you're doing cool. the events in person. Ninety-seven dollars. Mm -hmm. There it is. Will get me started immediately. You're doing yep, the events in person. Yes. Those then are not the next big product that you sell is. The next big part, we have a book called Attraction Alchemy that comes with some like phone coaching. That's I think two forty-seven, and then we've got our membership site. That's sixty-seven bucks a month. That's good because it gets you interacting with people. But honestly, if I'm being fully one hundred percent transparent, you can only learn so much from an online product or a website. It's like riding a motorcycle. So you got to come in person. And you got to come and learn it from people, or you got to at least talk to us. And you, it's less just, than or fewer than 10 people who will be there. By the way, right. though, it's called the Art of Charm Academy. I could sign up for a buck to get started, and then it's, what, 67 bucks a month after, right? right? That's the membership site. That's yeah. the membership site. And Again, that comes, that, all that stuff comes with your live program. So a lot of people go, I'm going to get started with this. And I'm like, great, but you're just wasting time and telling yourself you're making progress at that But time. if I come into the live program, I also get the membership. Yeah, you get everything. What does the live through. program cost? Uh, it depends. They, they range from four to 8000 Four to eight thousand, and, and we're for raising that, prices learned... this summer. But yeah, and what? Sorry, what do I learn for that? Oh man, I mean, we really go through. We take you through the ringer. It's it's six days. It's accommodation in L.A. It includes all the expenses except flight and food. Uh, we take you through banter, starting conversations, generating rapport. We videotape you in interactions with other people. We go through the tape with you. We let you see the way that you interact with others, the way that you show up to others. We help you tweak that in an authentic way. We go through a lot of drills and exercises that help expose insecurities or things that you're dealing with. We'll help break those down so that they're not sticking points anymore. We teach you how to deal with difficult people. We teach you persuasion, so negotiation. It's, 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 it's huge. I can use it for dating, but it's beyond dating too. Oh, yeah. It's beyond dating. It's well um, You guys haven't fully moved beyond dating. Dating is still there. The oh, yeah, texting is there. clearly dating. Yes. Okay. Um, you. What is this ebook that you acquired for thirty thousand dollars? Because apparently something happened there. E you, you decided to come acquired. up with an ebook. Uh, had acquired it for thirty thousand, and the team and the team that created it. Thirty thousand bucks. Mm, not, no. No. All right. Here. Here's no. what you told April. Uh, she asked you about the lowest point. We had do pre-interviews and oh, research. The guys stole it for, and it was worth that much. We had invested thirty grand. Got it. We so when you say you acquired it for thirty thousand, yeah, that means yeah, that's how much. So if you're writing an ebook, how does how does it cost thirty thousand dollars? It's marketing and the salaries of all the people that were involved with it over a longer period of time, and all the tech behind it. It wasn't the ebook, and yeah, no, we didn't acquire it for thirty grand. I would never pay thirty grand for an ebook. And then what happened? Well, they decided, hey, you know, Jordan, AJ, all those guys do is sit around and collect checks because we don't really understand their job. So we're just going to take this website and we're going to take this IP, intellectual property, the book and the associated content, and we're just going to sell it and we're going to keep the money and screw you. And that really sucked. That was like the worst because those guys were, or so I thought, we were friends. And I had paid them, paid for their living expenses in New York. I had paid for them places to live. But I kind of, after a while, realized that I was dealing with people that were like, and, and this is 2020 hindsight. This is not something I came to right away. These guys really never wanted to build what we wanted to build. They just wanted income. They just wanted a way out of the grind. And they wanted hope because they had nothing else going on. And looking at what they're doing now, they're literally in the same position they were six years ago. So now it's, I was mad about Who it for they? so long, and now it's just like, meh. 
I can't name names. I won't name names. It's just like a dick thing to do. But this got really bad. Your hair was starting to fall out in the shower. Oh you were starting yeah. to obsess. How do you resolve something like this? I was so stressed. Back, this is, again, five years ago. I was so stressed. I was taking showers. My hair was coming out. I was freaking out. We were in court all the time. And it was just this big mess. And you know what? I, I honestly I'm, I decided to stop worrying about it because there was nothing I could do. And I realized that I'd gotten this far. My team was really great. We were like a family. I was a little bit distraught because of what, a lot, very distraught with what happened, but I realized everybody who's left are the people that are willing to be around for, through thick and thin. Because if they're putting up with us now, they're, they're you know, this is a lean time. We were, de we were dead in the water. It, it was the worst thing ever. And they, you know, they had gone on and done things and they had been broadcasting like they were doing something really great. And then as time wore on and we kept our heads down in the trenches and just started, kept building what we were doing at the Art of Charm, we, we ended up fine. And then we looked back at what they were doing and we realized, wow, they're still like living on people's couches and have no money. And it's just like, what was I worried about that whole time? And that galvanized me in a lot of ways. And not in the way where I'm like, everything is a transaction and screw everyone. But where I'm like, ah, Everybody's got their own crap in their head. Everybody thinks they're doing the right thing, and if they don't, it just doesn't matter. You can't get wrapped up in their shit. And, and if you do, it will drown you. I mean, you can try to carry everyone's brick, but what you need to do, if you have a vision, if you want to leave that legacy, if you want to build a company, you cannot get wrapped up in the drama. You just can't. It'll kill you. It'll kill your company anyway. I was doing a, some searches to see if I could find out exactly what happened over Sorry. there, and I'm sure I could, but it's not worth uh, getting getting into them. Where is self-help in the podcast directory? I'm now in the podcast directory to see where you're ranking and, and under self-help. Under self-help. So I don't see self-help. I see science, society, sports. It's Do under you see health. Sorry? Health. Go click on health. There's health. Okay. Yeah. And so you see Tucker Max's new one. So that's trending right now. It'll be gone later. And then Savage Lovecast, which is Dan Savage. He's always on top. He's a New York Times syndicated columnist, and he's great at what he does. And then there's us. And then if you go to the subcategory... Oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, now I see the top under health. It's, yeah, like you said, it's The Mating Grounds by Tucker Max, his new one, Savage Lovecast, and then number three, Art of Charm, and right below you is Julian Michaels' show. Right. Jillian Michaels, yeah. Jillian, excuse me. Um, what is it with all these people who create podcasts? I think they are overestimating the power of just throwing up a podcast. Oh, yeah. No, podcasting right now is like the trendiest thing that you can do. It's, it's trendy among internet marketers. It's trendy among authors. It's very powerful, but here's the thing. It's a very double-edged sword. If you're an author and you start a podcast and you freaking suck at it, like a lot of them do, all the editing in the world is not going to make you more interesting, unfortunately. And there's a lot of authors that are not that interesting other than when they write. And uh, so they don't, they don't have podcasts, and those that do... I feel like they unsell a lot of their material. And I think they might be. I think we might be limiting ourselves by saying podcast because yeah, sure. go through the streets of San Francisco, ask someone to show you how they install a podcast on their phone. Most people don't freaking understand what it is. It's yes, there are programs like Stitcher that make it more accessible. Ask someone about Stitcher, and they're going to tell you about Pandora. That's what they listen to, not Stitcher. Sure. Um, but these guys will see that you do well, and they want to jump in there, and they think that it's going to yeah. be a snap. And because sure. they're trying to mimic you, I think a lot of it, not just you, they're trying to mimic a couple of other successful podcasts. Because of that, they are blinding themselves to the power of like going to YouTube, going to sure. text in addition, like all those other things. Um, let me do a quick plug here to, that I should have done really earlier in the interview. And then 
I want to follow up and ask you one or two more important questions. And the plug is for andrewswelcomegate.com. Andrewswelcomegate.com. Why? Because here's the thing. You need to find a, the same thing all of us entrepreneurs need. We need audience to take action, a specific kind of action, either go and buy or give us their email address or download a podcast. All those things take so much psychological um, understanding of what's going on in the user's head, what's going on in um, uh, what they've seen before, how to get them to sign up. How, all that stuff is pretty complicated. You can spend a lot of time doing it, or you can just go to lead pages where they have their templates already set up, where it's all prepared to allow you to easily get the sale or get the email address because the guy behind it, Clay, is really obsessed with it. And they have tons of templates that will allow you to collect email addresses to close sales, etc. One of those templates is my very own template, the one that I created for Mixergy that took me a couple of years to get right, to, took me a lot of time to increase conversions on. But it's there and it works and it's available to you right now if you sign up for andrewswelcomegate.com. It's going to cost you a buck. Lead pages will power it so you don't even have to know how to add it to a WordPress site or to, your, to another site. But if you do, you can easily add it to WordPress. I know I have. You can easily add it to, frankly, if you have no site, you can do it. Or if you just have a URL and you want to point it over. It's all available to you. If you go to andrewswelcomegate.com, it'll work instantly. You'll be amazed by how many email addresses you get, how much... how how many relationships you end up building with people who would otherwise just turn out to be hits you know just hit on the website not enough you want a real relationship that starts with someone joining your mailing list and you continuing the conversation that way andrewswelcomegate.com it'll work frankly i'm a little worried jordan that it's going to work too well because i get a lot of my email addresses from people who go to my welcome gate who give me their email address and i'm a little concerned that by giving it to clay who's going to give it to everyone else that it might lose its power yeah you might be right yeah, it might. And if it does, then there's a reason why it's andrewswelcomegate.com. I could always say, all right, let's delete the URL. No yeah. more new people can have it. Yeah, or you can just innovate and get something that works even better. Innovate? You out of your freaking mind. I'm I got that to work, and can I'm I just crazy. live off that for the rest of my life? You can. You can try. You can see how that... That's what do you think of it's... people who talk about this... Uh, um, passive income? Passive income. Creative I knew you were going to say that, right? That runs while you're sleeping. Yeah, it's a bunch of crap. Even even look at like Pat Flynn runs smart passive income. He's so smart. He works eight hours a day. The guy works really hard. I yeah, he works really hard. It, yeah. I rejected his interview because when people suggested it because I said I don't want to promote this idea of passive income. And then I came on here and the first question out of my mouth was about this passive income being a crock and why I didn't have him on before. And he explained what he was talking about. It wasn't it's not this don't ever work mentality that other passive yeah. income people have. I think maybe I read too much into the title of this. Well, yeah. I mean, think about it. The guy who wrote the four-hour work week works at least 40 hours a week, I would say. <laughs> so how's that working out? For, and all those people that try to work four hours a week, they're broken. They live in their mom's basement. So, <laughs> you know, scoreboard. There is no passive income in this. I don't believe anyway, in the sense no. that you put a website up and the thing just works. People can look back and say, oh, Jordan doesn't even have to man, man the live chat box. No, but Jordan does. What do you have to do now oh, or else the business is going to fail? Sure. So every day, I'm, every day I'm hustling, right? I'm always on other shows. I'm always recording top-notch, hopefully, content for The Art of Charm. I proof all the emails that go, well, most all the emails that go out with my name on it because I don't want that to be crummy. I do a lot of media and PR. I am always training our sales guys on the little live chat thing. Uh, I always do a ton of customer service stuff. What's uh, media and PR sure for you? Function. What's that? What's media and PR? So 
it seems like every day there's somebody's like, oh, I'm I, either another podcast or uh, some sort of Inc. magazine thing. Like, oh, we want to learn how you earn money digitally or whatever. You know, the latest thing is, and I get those opportunities all the time. I do a lot of networking where I talk to people and develop relationships, try to help as many people as possible, and I also do coaching and consulting of my own, of course, uh, about either everything from podcasting to helping clients who are looking for advanced social skills like for whatever purpose they want lawyers doctors special forces guys people need to negotiate things i mean those people they all come to us and so i'm on the hook for that there's no such thing as passive income honestly i wish there was a such thing as a 40 hour freaking work week for, for <laughs> 40 me sometimes. hours would be nice 40 hours yeah yes. i mean i i'm i'm usually i'm great because i'm flexible with my time off but i certainly don't have this overabundance of time off where i just don't know what to do with myself that People who tell you they're doing that are either not making that much money, they've made money, then they're coasting on it, or they're full of crap. And usually it's some mix of those three things. All right, here's where I wanted to end it. April said, I got to ask you about going to North Korea. Ah, yes. She doesn't even have to say, I got to ask you about going to North Korea. If I hear that you went to North Korea three times and you're planning to return, I'm going to have to ask you about that. Bill Clinton in 2009 had to fly into North Korea to rescue someone who was trapped there. Aren't you yes. worried you're going to get trapped in North Korea? I have been worried about that in the past, yes. And? Um, but I run, I mean, I've, I've, I've run tours there. I've got enough decent connections with people there that, you know, I'm just hoping I don't have to call Uncle Bill to come fly and rescue me. Because he's not flying to rescue you. Imagine Bill Hell Clinton no. with his problems with women is going to fly and save the guy who used to have a Pua podcast. Forget yeah, it. You can't no, do it. No, I mean, how do, you think, how do you think he got out of that rut? You know? Uh, no, but honestly, I don't think that that uh, it's going to be an issue. I'm not causing any trouble. I bring that the, the tourist industry there a lot of engagement, which is what they're after. Uh, I keep my mouth shut. Keep Wait, does my head the U.S. Down. allow you to go to North Korea? Yes. How? Hey, I, I, I do a show and run a business about generating relationships. They love the fact that I do that. The U.S. is okay with you going they're to North 100% Korea? They're 100% okay with it, and they're 100% with tourists going there as well. It's easy for me to get an American visa to North Korea. It's a snap. It's a snap, and it's completely legal. Wow. Yeah. And then there is no embassy there in case you no. run into trouble. What do you do? There's, there's a Swiss, uh, sorry, a Swedish embassy, which has some help that, help that has a U.S. interest section. They'll help us out uh, when we need it. But honestly, the tours there are controlled. They're strictly guided. Our guides there know us. It's not a big deal. It's really not a big deal. We're not there handing out friggin' Bibles, and we're not there with, you know, shotgun microphones and you know, taking secret footage. I mean, we're going through the motions. It's fascinating, but it's certainly not controversial for them. If you get caught in North Korea and can't come out, and AJ needs a new partner, will you be insulted if I ask him to partner up with him on the business? No, go ahead. Okay. Please do. Keep it running. All right. Eventually, I'll insulted if I run like edited excerpts of you in the end saying North Korea is a very safe place just so I can juice up my traffic. Yeah, no, go for it, man. All it's right. not. It's here's the thing. It's a very safe place for tourists because all the criminals are dead. They're breaking rocks and gulags somewhere. Um, it's not safe politically, and I would say that if you want to go, it's the adventure ish type thing of if the edgy tourist. But I I wouldn't work. I wouldn't want to set up shop there. Anytime soon. I think it might be a little bit sketch. It seems amazing. I, it is I amazing. It. I take a lot of entrepreneurs there. You should come. I'm a little afraid. To be honest, I would like to go. People you know are going. For example? Well, we can talk about that. i got to get their permission. I don't know if they want right. me to blab all over the place. 
Do you feel a little bit um, violated by the fact that I started out this interview asking you about the cheese? No, the cheese is totally fair game. And I think, it's, I think it illustrates that here's the thing. You're never going to be so set that you don't have to hustle. If you look at Mark Cuban on Shark Tank, that guy's not like, oh, screw it, I'm so rich, I don't give a crap. No, dude's hustling. All the, everybody on top is hustling. They get there by hustling. They stay there by hustling. There's not a whole lot of coasting going on from people who've actually earned their money, as far as I've seen. And I've seen you hustle for a long time, and it's great to have had you on here. How do you feel it went? I think it was cool. And this is a, this is a good milestone for me personally because I emailed you a shitload back in the day, and somebody was all, man, no thanks. And that's fine. No, back then it was I'm me. There was here. no somebody. I think I just looked at it, and I said, all he must be doing is pickup artist stuff. I don't know if there's anything to this. I'm looking at the emails here. I mean, we've got emails going back to, um, what is this, 2010, maybe even before then. Yeah, and, and I was, so I was Pat Flynn 1.0. You were like, I'm judging a book by its cover. No thanks. Totally. But the thing is, sometimes yeah. I feel really bad. I say, why am I saying no to this guy? Jordan's obviously a good guy, especially after Scotch. I was starting right. to feel bad. And then I say, there is no perfect way for me to do this right. No, I have of course to just, not. Of course not. Just trust that I can get it right most of the time and learn when I don't. And if I look here and say, what can I learn from this? It's that... Um, I could have looked beyond the topic. I could have looked a little bit more in depth and said, what's here? But you know what? It, but I don't even know how I would have found out because you weren't yeah, at the top of the podcast list at the time. If no. I look at your traffic numbers, frankly, they don't they don't show much. If I look at your site, I don't know how I would find out. The only way that I could find out for sure is I'm looking at my inbox under your name. And the other thing that I see come up a lot is uh, people like Kelly Azevedo saying you should meet these guys and telling me in person. People like uh, – who was it? Um, John Corcoran, a couple of others. That's the only way, frankly, that I know. I can't tell otherwise. Yeah, we come highly recommended. And honestly, if I took no for an the first no for an answer, I wouldn't be anywhere right now. Yeah, so no, I don't mind. I'm not being defensive. I'm just saying. Yeah. No, I got you. I'm just, I think I'm trying to make myself feel a little bit better because I do feel bad about that. I feel bad when I get it wrong with people, especially in this case, it didn't have to happen. But sometimes I then have to go and beg people to come back on. You know, people who have oh, to look get in all, my inbox to find their hurt. email. I see, oh, right. We said no mm. in the past. That's why I say, no matter what, you really can't predict who's going to do well in this business. You always have to just, even if we turn someone down, I tell everyone on the team, we're not turning them down forever. We're going to beg right. them in the future. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you begging me to come back I, on I'm the really show. grateful to you for being on here, and I really yeah, enjoyed I our conversation it. in private apart from this. I would not reveal anything, including the cheese, without your permission, and you know That's that right. none of the other cool stuff that we talked about uh, was revealed publicly. That's and I right. hope it's not going to be the last time that we get together. I agree. Well, yeah, of course we'll hang. We're in the same city. I was, I was thinking if you were set up for it, we could do this face-to-face, -face, but it's just not – That's you know we're both in small rooms right now. You know, I, I think it was, it's hard to do it face to face. It's so much easier to do it this way. The editing comes up really fast. And frankly, mm -hmm. also, if you see my eyes dart around, it's because when you say something, I quickly go and check it out yeah. and see what else can I go? What, where, what other information can I get? And it's kind of awkward to do that, um, in person. I agree. The only, the only real downside to doing it in separate locations is I have to drink my own scotch instead of yours. And I've got a really good collection here. It's mounting. I, you know what? Just before my baby was born, I built such a great collection at home, and now I don't even know when I'm going to get a drink at home. But I do here in the office from time to time still. Yeah, well, excellent. You're biking distance from me, so I'll see you soon.
All right, I'd love it. Right. Thank you for doing this interview. Everyone out there, thank you for being a part of it. Jordan actually gave his email address, so when I tell right. you all the time that the first way to start a conversation with someone who you've heard on Mixergy or seen do something credible at a conference or write a good blog post or a book, when I tell you what you should do is email them or phone them or tell them in person, thank you. Usually I give you a little bit of homework, right? You have to go and look for it. In this case, all you have to do is just scroll up in the transcript and his email address is right there. That's right. And when you do that, when you say thank you, you end up setting the foundation for a relationship that often, often you can draw on in the future, often starts out so well that the you've warmed up the conversation with them for the next time. And if you ever see Jordan in person, don't be afraid to interrupt and say, hey, because apparently interrupting is okay if it's it an introduction. It is. It's okay. In fact, it happened to me at Starbucks today. Somebody Someone said, recognized you. Are you Jordan Harbinger? And I went, I look around like I'm on punked because, you know, who does that? When does that ever happen? But it's awesome. That is such a friend. freaking cool thing. It's one of the best it's parts really cool. about doing this. So yeah. I guess I can understand why Max, uh, why Tucker Max would want to do a podcast and all those other people. It is an awesome byproduct. Yeah, agreed. I'm sure he gets recognized a ton. He's on the cover From of the book. From the cover book. of the book, yes. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Thank you so Thanks much so for much. being a part of it. Thank you all too. Bye.